0: Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Please also now turn to John chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire,
1: and burned. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come? You know our hearts, you know what's on our minds, you know what's stressing us out or distracting us. But Lord, we make space for you now. We pray that you would meet us here right where we are and that you'd speak to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. The little boy asks his dad, Dad, is it true that God is everywhere? His dad replies, Yes, son, God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. The little boy ponders this. Wow. Does that mean that God is in our house, in this room right now? Yes, son. God is here in our house, in this room right now. God is with us right now? Yep. God is with us right now. Is God with me when I go to school? He asks. Yes, son. God is with you when you go to school every day. Wow. He's, is God with me at recess? Yes, God is with you at recess. The little boy turns up the heat. What about when I go to the bathroom? Does God go with me? The father senses and fears the escalation, but answers, um, Yeah, God is still with you when you go to the bathroom. And a grin starts to form on the little boy's face. While a slight discomfort and a feeling that says, oh boy, where's this going to go, forms in the father's gut. And then the boy asks, does God live inside of me? Dad replies, if you believe in Jesus, then yes, God lives in you. And then the little boy starts picking his nose. If God is inside me, am I picking him out of my nose right now? And things start to escalate. The boy starts scratching his head. Am I scratching God right now? And then it escalates. He, starts, he sticks his hand down the backside of his pants. The, the father is quickly thrown into a theological exploration that he has no time or energy for and responds, Good night, my son. We'll continue this conversation in the morning. To be continued, this is a true story. <laughs> this was a conversation that my friend actually had with his four-year-old son, And while we laugh at questions like, if God lives inside of me, am I poking him when I pick my nose? I don't know if we wrestle with this question enough in the same way that a four-year-old boy does. Maybe we're afraid to wonder. If you grew up in church, maybe you grew content with your elders telling you either confidently or hurriedly in an effort to silence further questions that God is present here with us always. If you didn't grow up in the church, then chances are you find this strange, too fantastical or hard or impossible to believe. Or maybe you find it just hard to believe that God is present here with us when terrible things continue to happen in our world. How can God be present and not do anything about that? Is God in third world countries where children are starving daily? Is he in slums and brothels where human trafficking is the norm? Is he here in my house watching our family fall apart? If God is here and he is good, then why isn't he doing anything? Or maybe your question is more practical. If God is here, why can't I hear him or feel him? And then you wonder, wait, what? why don't we know what it's supposed to feel like? What does it mean to experience God? Maybe you see the spiritual encounters of your peers. You're at a worship night or a retreat. Everyone's lifting up their hands and singing their hearts out. People are high on the Holy Spirit and a good number of people are weeping on the floor while you stand with arms folded, hands in your pockets. Maybe you feel a little awkward on the outside looking in and at the same time just a little bit jealous. And you think, Where is my amazing, inspiring, tear-jerking, life-changing encounter? Where's my burning bush moment? I know I can't just whip it up with willpower, but I mean, doesn't God want me to see his glory? Doesn't God want to meet with me? Doesn't he want me to see him and to come to him? I mean, come on, God. And still, perhaps your experience is the opposite, Maybe you feel God's presence in action more than you like and in ways that are uncomfortable and maybe even annoying. And perhaps you just want him to stop and go away already. If this is you, then hey, you're in good company. David writes here in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it in the Message Bible. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? In other words, how can I get away from you, God? Can I even do that? Can you just leave me alone? He's talking about running away from God. But it's a rhetorical question because David knows that the answer is no. He can't get away. And then he goes on in verse 8. If I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. A little Bible reading tip here. The Psalms are poetry. It's always helpful to know the genre of what you're reading in the Bible. Um, and so David is using poetic language to convey the vastness of God's presence, both vertically the heights of heaven to the pits of Sheol, and horizontally, the wings of the morning refer to the east, where the sun rises, and the uttermost parts of the sea refer to the far end of the Mediterranean Sea, west of Israel. Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. That's a big claim and a big promise. For some of us, that's great news. For others, maybe it's a little inconvenient. And maybe, for many, simply unbelievable. But what if this is actually true? What if God is actually here with us right now? What do you believe? Centuries later, Jesus would reaffirm this claim and promise. Jesus Christ... Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus Christ, God come down, personified and embodied as a man to be with us. Among the last things Jesus says to his disciples and to us is this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even before his death and resurrection, Jesus says in John's gospel, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in today's text, abide in me and I in you. The word abide comes from the Greek root meno, meaning to remain, to stay, or to wait, And Jesus' statement is simultaneously an invitation and a promise. Jesus invites us to abide in him, to remain in him, to wait on him. But he also promises to abide in us. Jesus promises to remain, to stay, to wait with us. So first, we have the claims of Scripture that say that God is here with us now. And then we have the word of the one who claimed to be the Messiah claimed to be the fulfillment of Scripture, the one who died on a Roman cross and then rose again back from the dead. And the New Testament affirms numerous eyewitnesses accounts of this. This is the one who says, I will be with you always. And so what if God is actually here? What if, as he promises to those who believe in him, he is actually present here with us? What if he is always accessible? What if he's never actually that far away? What if the promise is actually true? The promise that says that we have access to the Father through Jesus. Not just sometimes, not just at church, not in our community groups, when we're doing Christian things, but at all times. Now, I'm all for nature. I'm all for being outside. I love the mountains. I love getting away to quiet, peaceful places. A few of us had a chance to do that just the other week. And I definitely believe that there is something about being out there in the secret place that is conducive to getting away from the noise and hubbub of our lives just to enjoy time in communion with God. And Jesus himself did that regularly. But what if we don't actually have to go that far? I love worship nights, but what if we don't have to wait for the next worship night, the next rally or retreat, in order to connect with God and experience him fully? What if all we had to do was wake up the next morning? Is there a way to live with greater awareness of the presence of God with and around us? And do we want that? Like many of you, I grew up in the Vietnamese church. Uh, Now, I've grown to love a lot of the things about the Vietnamese church uh, with all of its beauties and its flaws as any church would have. But if I'm honest with you, one of my earliest memories about going to a Vietnamese church is just how long everything was. Services were long, two to three hours. It's, not, it's a little different now. Prayers were long. When I was a kid, I got the impression that everyone's goal was to pray longer than the other person, as if it were a mark of holiness. I remember when we got a new senior pastor, some of you know who I'm talking about, one who had a specific reputation for preaching really long sermons. I remember when he or someone would come in to pray, and then five minutes in, I would just be thinking, come on, let's go, as I waited for the, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, to come. And then when people took what seemed like dramatic pauses, like, dear God, I would, I would I'd be dying. You know? So long and then Paul writes in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing, which is ironically the shortest, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. I, I see that, and I was like, oh no, it's a command? You know, I used to think that the, the phrase, pray without ceasing, meant to pray like the grandmas at our church, you know, like for hours on end. And while I certainly think that's one form of it, there's nothing wrong with that, more and more I've realized that To pray without ceasing isn't necessarily to break time records, but rather to live in greater awareness of God, in constant connection to God, always paying attention and always tuning in to his voice, presence, and movement. In other words, a life of abide. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we can control the Holy Spirit as if once we do certain things, we'll, we'll be on constant call with God, constantly connected, always hearing, always understanding exactly what he wants to say to us. We don't control God. But we do know that in our relationship and discipleship to Jesus, we have a part to play. We cannot control the Spirit. We don't just conjure up God like a genie in a lamp. But we remember, in verse 4, Jesus issues both a promise and an invitation. Abide in me, invitation, and I in you, promise. Friends, to enjoy the promise, we must take up the invitation. Experiencing and enjoying God's presence, which is a promised reality, begins with being holy and totally present to him. New York pastor John Tyson recently put it this way, God goes where he is wanted. There was a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence who lived in 17th century Paris, and he was the one who coined this phrase, practicing the presence of God. We all want the presence of God, or at least some of us do, but I think it's the practicing that we miss out. He writes, I still believe that all spiritual life consists of practicing God's presence and that anyone who practices it correctly will soon attain spiritual fulfillment. In the words of Jesus, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Friends, could it be that our entire life with Jesus Begins with this simple statement. Practicing, practicing, practicing the presence of God. Could it be that our entire life with Jesus comes down to merely learning how to hear Him, learning how to connect with Him, and by extension, enjoy Him, love Him, follow Him, and then be changed by Him? It's very hard to love someone we cannot connect with, let alone obey and follow them. If God is present at all times, then, as my friend's four-year-old son explored, he is with us when we wake, when we sleep, when we brush our teeth, when we scroll through TikTok, when we game, when we go to work or school, when we hang out with our friends, when we get coffee or bubble tea, when we cross the street, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're angry, excited, overjoyed, depressed. And if he is present in all of these ordinary, mundane moments, then is there such a thing as an ordinary, mundane moment? Or is every moment of our lives actually holy and extraordinary? Every moment of our lives, from the moment we wake up, get dressed, and out the door to the moment we come home, eat dinner, and go to sleep. Every moment, potential sacred space for communion with, connection to God. And suddenly, each moment of our lives, from the amazing down to the mundane, has the possibility and the potential to explode with meaning, truth, and beauty. Every moment a potential meeting place, with our Father. What would life be like if you woke up every morning to say with confidence, Good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. What a beautiful way to start the day. What if after a rough day you plopped down on your bed, tired, a little beat down, but with the knowledge that Jesus was right there with you in the muck of it? Friends, if this is the case, then our lives, rather than being a constant race to perform, achieve, succeed, gain, amass, accumulate, etc., if this is the case, then our lives get to be a constant discovery process where each day we discover more and more and more the promise of Jesus. The promise of his presence abiding with us, loving us, caring for us, could it be that our entire life with Jesus is one big, constant process of discovering his presence, uncovering it, seeing his presence with us in everything? One big, wonderful journey of uncovering his nearness, his voice, his movement, his handiwork, his abundant mercy and grace, and his beauty. That's the life I to live practicing the presence of god what if it is this simple easy not necessarily but simple yes what if it actually is this simple and we've just made it into something else what have we made christianity into and we, we, we've seen it distorted to suit the agendas of mankind all throughout history. We've seen it used as a political tool. Perhaps more innocently, we've seen the spiritual life refashioned into how much can I serve? I mean, serving is good, don't get me wrong. But not when it is the extent of our connection to Jesus. Like the relationship is nothing more than what we do for him. Not when the serving comes out of an unrepentant, untransformed life. Not when it becomes a barrier to real deep connection with Jesus rather than the fruit and byproduct of connection to Jesus. And we see it happen a lot. I ask, hey, how's life with Jesus going? The reply, oh, it's good. I've been serving a lot. It's tiring, kind of burnt out, but I've been serving a lot. I'd say it's good. Let me ask you this. Do your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, do they begin and end with you doing things for the other person while never actually connecting with them, knowing with them? Or do they first begin with being with them, knowing them, learning about them, and loving them? Being before doing. We've seen the spiritual life refashioned into Christian culture, where the center of our lives is... Doing Christian things, going to church every Sunday, participating in community groups, service projects, going to the same annual conferences, listening to Christian music, even exchanging Christian jokes and memes. Those are so cheesy, I'm sorry. Maybe we've gotten good at centering our lives on doing Christian things, all the while never centering our lives on Christ himself. It's so easy to do. I wonder if, in our distracted culture, we've just lost the art of practicing the presence of God. And we're already losing the art of paying attention. That doesn't bode well. But we rely on church programming curriculum to fuel our spiritual lives. If this church doesn't have it, we can go elsewhere. All the while, we remain dependent on someone else doing our spiritual life for us. And if that's where you're at, that is okay. But know that it's a starting point. It's a springboard. Jesus wants to connect with you directly, not through some middleman. Now, by this point in the sermon, you're probably thinking, Brooks, I feel like you're leaving us with more questions and what ifs than answers. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, you'd be right in thinking that. But good news. Over the next five weeks, these are the questions and the what-ifs we will be addressing. Over the next few weeks, we will be learning how to be holy presence to Jesus. We'll learn how to take up Jesus' invitation to abide in him. That's what the series is called. Uh, To live lives of constant prayer and by that I mean constant attentiveness to his voice so that we can lead lives pointed by Jesus. This series will be a little different than previous series in that it will be much more practical and pragmatic. Lots of you, or, or, or lots of, I think, very doable practice and application steps. The goal is to equip you with tools for you to make space for God in your life. No matter what life stage or season whether you're a busy college student, a not-so-busy cash potato, a stressed-out high schooler, a new parent, or you constantly find yourself working overtime. And this is why we're starting the year with a series like this. The first three sermons, starting next week, will deal with morning, and then day, and then evening. And we'll look at how to create space for God and how to cultivate a greater awareness and experience of him throughout the day, beginning with our mornings, going into our work days, and then ending in the evening. After that, we'll spend a week on the ancient but also needed practice of establishing a rule of life. If you're unfamiliar with that language, a rule of life was something started by Benedictine monks in the 7th century. I know, I just hooked you in with that. Uh, It probably sounds unattractive to our ears because we don't like the word rule, All it is is a structured routine and rhythm for daily living. And before you think, oh, I really don't need more things on my plate right now. I'm really not a fan of structured routines either. Guess what? You already have one. You already have a rule of life. Every one of us, we already live out some routine. Even if if our usual routine is just chaos. We all, Christian or non-Christian, live out a rule of life. And it's either leading to flourishing or the opposite you know exactly what I'm talking about. We'll talk about how to change, revise, reorder, and re our current rule of life to one that centers our lives on Jesus so that we can lead, let's say it all together actually, lead lives pointed by Jesus. Thank you. Again, this teaching will be much more practical, much more pragmatic. So if you've heard rule of life teachings before, don't worry. The goal is to help you build and or rebuild your rule of life to center on Jesus. Lastly, we'll end the series by talking about fruit. We'll talk about the byproducts of a life of abiding in Jesus. A life in constant awareness of and connection to him. Today's teaching is titled Holy Present. Uh, Our last sermon of the series is all about being, all about bearing fruit and being a holy presence in our community and in the world. When the world looks at us, will they see someone who has been with Jesus? Out of a life of abiding, a life with Jesus, pointed by Jesus, comes a life that then points others to Jesus. And so to end we'll touch on what we'll focus on at the end of the series, and that is the so what. Why does all this matter? Why should I, or why would I, want to live with a growing awareness of God? I am perfectly content right now without him, I think. Jesus says in verse four, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why does this matter? Because out of a life of abiding comes the deep knowledge and tangible experience of God's faithful love and care for us. Out of a life of abiding comes true knowledge and understanding of our identity as created image bearers purchased by the blood of Christ through the grace of God. And so out of abiding comes love, self-worth, and purpose. Out of a life of abiding comes the knowledge and experience of not only God's presence, but also his sovereignty, his power, and his grace. And so out of a life of abiding comes hope and peace. Out of a life of abiding comes a greater sense and appreciation of God's beauty, the beauty of creation, the beauty of nature and art and all that is good. And so out of a life of abiding comes joy the joy of being loved deeply and unconditionally, the joy of knowing who you are, and the joy of seeing and receiving this life as a gift. And then lastly, out of a life of abiding comes the vision of God's kingdom, the vision of his values coming down from heaven to this earth, as well as the invitation to join him in that kingdom mission. And so out of a life of abiding comes the impetus and the fuel for love, not only for our brothers and our sisters, but our enemies. Out of a life of abiding comes the impetus and the fuel for reconciliation, for justice, for mercy, for forgiveness, for the Great Commission, for discipleship, and the desire to see lost souls saved. In a life of abiding, God's kingdom values become our core values. In a life of abiding, His kingdom comes into our lives and His will is done in our lives. And that is the best thing for us and for the world around us. And I'm starting to chuckle because someone started playing the organ and I felt like we were in a Baptist church all of a sudden. This is the fruit of a life of abiding. The church. Let's go. Let's pay attention. Let's be good listeners and even better doers of the word. Let us be people who abide 24 7 in Jesus Christ. This is the journey. This is the invitation extended to you today. Before we end, I also want to acknowledge that in addition to Scripture, Two great books have inspired this series. The first is a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, it's a great read, not super dense at all. The whole book is a beautiful walk through a regular day with all of its seemingly ordinary moments and routines to highlight God's fingerprints in even the most mundane moments. The second book is a book called God in My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. Shigematsu started off as a businessman in Tokyo, but then became a pastor in Vancouver. That's where he is right now. And his book offers a more in-depth look at rule of life. He basically takes the ancient practice and argues for its necessity for but busy modern folks like us in order to center our lives on Jesus and to, as a result, live and enjoy flourishing life to the full. So I would highly recommend checking them out as we go through these sermons, maybe even start a book club. But for now, we end. And so let us stand and pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation and your promise. We thank you that you've come down, that you're present with us always. And we thank you that whether we believe it or not, whether we feel it or not, that it's just a reality. It's the way things are. And we thank you that you give us the choice to live into that reality. And so moving forward, Lord, we pray that you would lead us to say yes to your invitation to abide. We pray that you would lead us and and, and discipline us to do the slightly hard work of just paying attention, Lord. We pray that you would lead us into lives of constant prayer. But we also pray that you would reward us with a fresh experience of your presence with us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.